But if every single person who is just volunteering or, or working on a Democratic campaign right now could find six people in their phone who they could turn out personally, that would be 1.2 million extra Democratic votes. Republicans would never win in Texas again. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guests today are Lana Hansen, the executive director of the Texas Blue Action Democrats, and Sri Kulkarni, former Texas congressional candidate and former guest on this show, and the chief strategist for their project, Two Million Texans, which is the first attempt to relationally organize the whole state before the midterm election. Sri and Lana explain what they're trying to do and make the case for why progressive dollars should go first to this kind of organizing. It's a good and lively interview. You should listen. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Sri and Lana of Two Million Texans. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplots library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Sri and Lana, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> yes, thank you for having us. I I usually start these podcasts out by asking people for a quick biography. Sri has already been on the podcast and got a fairly long biography because he's a highly interesting person. But I suggest anyone who wants to learn more about him to listen to that episode and then come back to this one. It'll be well worth your effort. Lana, give me a quick biography. Sure. My name is Lana Hansen. I'm the executive director of Texas Blue Action Democrats. I've lived a lot of places, but found home in Texas and decided that I loved this damn state so much that I needed to double down on helping make progress here and get rid of some of the failed leadership. And so a few years ago, I stumbled across an incredible group of women that were organizing their own neighborhoods and doing sort of old school relational organizing that was uh, neighbor to neighbor, friend to friend, PTA mom to PTA mom. Along the way, I was graciously asked to run this incredible organization, which is now organizing across the state. I'm a mom of two, but mostly a hellraiser and troublemaker. So that's the long and short of it. If I had to just think about Texas from a political standpoint with your governor and your attorney general, I'm not sure I would want to double down and stay there and work on politics. What is it that's so great about Texas that that is not such a big deficit that you want to actually leave and come to a state that's well-governed? I love, love that question. So, you know, I grew up in Wyoming, right? Deep in Republican country. Spent a lot of time in South Dakota where we have a large family farm. 
went to college in Northern California, but in a red part of California, Northern California, Chico, and then found my way to Austin, Texas, which was actually more progressive than the part of California I'd been living in. And the thing that makes me want to stay here and raise my family here, I've been here 12 years now, is the community. It's the people that I have met here. It's the things that are happening in this state. It's the creativity that happens here. It's all these things that I never found anywhere else when I was traveling. Not to say that there's not fantastic people everywhere because there are, and, and I've missed people as I've moved around and left them. But Texas was the only place that really grabbed my heart and said, there's something really special about being here. And, you know, that Texas pride that people have is is infectious. There's a real desire to identify as Texans once you live here and, and be a part of that community. And the community that I've grown to know here, it's been incredible. So that's what makes me want to stay. I can't imagine being anywhere else. You got sort of sucked into this group of women. You decided to take it seriously and they decided to make you the leader. Was it already a official organization? What kind of organization was it? I'm going to back up a little bit to answer that question. It wasn't really just the group of women that sucked me in. It was 2016 when Donald Trump got elected, right? And, and my daughter at the time was two-year-old and I really thought there was no chance of this man being elected. And I was laying in bed with her and she was sleeping next to me. And I was thinking to myself, they just elected the grab him by a pussy guy, you know? And I have this two-year-old baby here that a lot of people I know showed up and voted for that guy. That was almost more disappointing than him being elected were the, the friends and family members that I had that, that cast a vote for him. And I thought, I'm not going to be the person that fails her, like the other people around her. And so I really started showing up as a volunteer everywhere and then landed with, with this incredible group of people that, that were doing this, this really important infrastructure building work. So at the time I landed in it, yes, they were an official pack a general purpose pack. And then in the last year, we have also launched a branch of the organization that is a C4 nonprofit. We also have at one point um, launched a school board specific organizing arm of, of the organization as well, because as we all know, school boards have really become the battleground of, of a lot of these fights in states like Texas. There are a lot of organizations in every state in Texas that do organizing, we call it the progressive ecosystem or different names like that. What is special about your group that distinguishes it from all other organizing groups in Texas? I love, love that question because I could talk about this all day. Our group is different because what we do is not the shiny object. It's actually what people have been doing forever from the labor movement to any old school organizing that you look at. And, and we, we got out of it, right? People quit organizing that way. They started relying on TV ads and text messages. And, and what we do is literally organizing at the micro level in neighborhoods to build political power within specific areas, and we do it all year round. So it's also community building, right? It's inviting people to engage civically every single month. You know, we really believe that civic engagement is a muscle. And if you don't continue to use it, you know, it's going to atrophy. And that's what happens. People become apathetic and they quit being involved. So we give people a home in their neighborhood to get involved every single month 
all year round. There's no off years. And nobody does that anymore. It's old school canvassing, right? A lot of organizations spin up their activities six weeks before, including the party. So we're kind of filling a gap here. (laughs) Give me a sense of how you folks have changed from 2018 to 2020 to now 2022. What has been different as you've gotten more mature, gone through more political cycles? We've, of course, learned some best practices along the way, but but it, it, really the only thing that's changed is the growth. I mean, we've, we've doubled in size in this amount of time. We're on track to double in size again because we're really filling that infrastructure gap that doesn't exist in Texas. We've learned things along the way, particularly tools that we're able to use, right, that can help streamline our operations and integrate things. When we started, we kept everything in spreadsheets, right? Now we use tools that that manage everything from events tools to different email lists. But, you know, part of that is what Shri and I are doing here in in bringing on this statewide GOTV relational program, right? Like we're able to have technology now to advance this, but, but that's still built on fostering relationships and making politics personal. You said you doubled and are on track to double again. Does that mean you went from one person to two people to maybe four? What do you mean when you say that? That means we went from organizing nine precincts to 1,030 precincts. And hopefully- Okay, that's way more than doubling twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. But the doubling part actually isn't the precincts. It's the amount of chapters. So we have chapters that organize neighborhoods. So we went from one chapter to four chapters. Now we have 10 chapters. My goal is 25 by 2024. So more than doubling, you're right. Sri, I promise I will get to you, but I want to keep asking her a couple more questions. No, Lana is so interesting. You could keep asking her questions all night long. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the typical experience of a volunteer organizer who wants to come work with you? How do they join? What do they end up doing? What is the likely impact of that? So all of our volunteers, because we organize at the micro level, and this is also very different than what candidates do, right? Candidates take people and they move them from area to area to knock doors for strangers. The first thing we do, because our model is built on engaging precinct chairs and developing block captains. So the first thing we do with the volunteers, plug them into their neighborhood organizer. We meet monthly in a location that's it's close to everybody. Of course, during the pandemic, we did virtual trainings. We do everything from hold candidate forums so they can have access to the candidates and ask questions to old school deep canvassing. So depending on where we are in the cycle, our teams are either at the doors registering voters, new voters, and the best way to get new voters is at their door because then you can follow up with them and make sure they show up and vote versus tabling. And the best person to do it is somebody who lives in the neighborhood because they see the for sale sign and then they see when the moving truck is in the driveway. So they go knock the door. They're the first person to approach them about getting involved. Hey, I noticed you moved. You're going to need to update your registration. We have 150 people a day moving into Central Texas. And most of them come from states where you can do online voter registration or same-day voter registration. Neither of those things are offered in Texas. So we are some of the first people that can come to them and be like, you have to be registered to vote 30 days before an election. Did you know there's an election coming up? Do you know who your representatives are here? So then we run a voter education tool too, where we just knock doors and let people know about what's going on, whether it's propositions that are coming up, whether it's initiatives. So we, we keep everybody 
engaged in that manner. And then we also do, you know, some community building actions, putting together backpacks before school starts. So things that keep people engaged also within their area. How do you know that the people that are moving in next door or the people that you're registering or working with are on our team? You don't. And that's also a very important part of it, right? Because when you show up, you can suss out who they are and we can either check them off the list of people we want to talk to in the future or keep them engaged. But some of them might be on the fence or we have to make a decision. So what's is there like a protocol for for how you deal with people like that? No, I wouldn't say there's a protocol, but I would just say the invitation is open. Like, hey, we're having the community barbecue this weekend. Come meet your neighbors. And and you can quickly find out people's values and what they're interested in. And then it's a matter of do we continue to engage or do they continue to choose to show up, right? Our door is open. It's whether they decide that they want to be a part of, of the group. You've done this uh, growing the number of precincts that you cover. How do you add one? Do you target particular precincts to add them? Does it come from the bottom up where somebody in the precinct joins your group and then you add them? How do you spread around the state? So it's happened really organically for us. Um, you know, we we haven't been that proactive in the growth. So it's been two things, Nathaniel. One is precinct that's adjacent to precincts that we are already organizing that want support. We'll reach out and say, hey, I see what you're doing. Or people in other neighborhoods have reached out and said, I live in a different part of town. I want to do this here. But we have, you know, an infrastructure component of what we do in that in each of those communities, we develop and train leadership, right? So we put together a full executive committee for that area to manage it. So part of what we do and how we choose where to be is where we find local leaders. People that are saying, I want to take this on and I want to manage it here. And then what we do at the organizational level is make sure that they have the funding and the tools to manage their neighborhood organizing. To answer your question, it's it's happened a couple ways. People have, have reached out and wanted to be leadership or they've been in a precinct that they just wanted help. And so we folded them into what we're already doing. How many precincts are there in the whole of the state? I don't know. It's about 8,000. Thank you, Shree. <laughs> be careful about numbers, Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said I don't know. Because if you're a guest and then you would... <laughs> <laughs> so so you're up to less than 15% of the precincts in the state. I don't know what that means in terms of population. Is there a goal for this cycle to get to a certain point or is it just as much as you can? How do you think about that, so that kind of thing. actually for this cycle, we're not doing any more growth, right? We are at the point right now where everybody's on the doors and it, I think it would be sort of negligent for us to take more on. We would rather be really good and small and mighty and powerful where we are, right? So, so the growth will be next. But, you know, we did bring on the 2 Million Texans project for the relational organizing that is statewide. And that is something we're putting a lot of energy and funding into to, to grow in addition to our already, you know, substantial program. So I know that Sri was here in the DC area working for the Biden administration and that somehow he ended up back in Texas uh, with a smile on his face, working really hard. 
Can you explain to what degree you're the cause of that or what's the connection there? Um, I mean, the connection is sort of random in that the founder of our organization, who's the president of our board and him, we're, we're talking about other things, which might or may or may not have been related to Shree's dating life. I will not say for sure. <laughs> I knew that was going to come up somehow. <laughs> before, the, before we started recording, we thought that this was going to have to turn into Nathaniel and Shree's dating advice hotline or something like that. That is not why we're here. I'm just saying that like that may have happened. And then Shri in that conversation said something about, Hey, I want to do this thing in Texas. And she said, I'm going to put you on the phone with Lana and Shri and I ended up on the phone when a two hour phone call, you know, and at the end of that phone call, as an executive director, my, my thought is usually like, how am I going to pay for this? But I got off the phone with Shri and I thought, how can we not afford to do this? Like it's so important to changing the landscape in Texas. And so I said to Shree, you know, like, what do we need to do to make it happen? And we came up with essentially a dollar amount and a plan to launch the first phase. And I made a couple of phone calls and, and we got the money and I called him and said, pack your bags. And now he's here. And he's that, that, that's and literally he's the not text sleep, but you know, we're making it happen. <laughs> so for those people who didn't listen to the first episode with Sri, he ran for Congress twice and did a, a lot of relational organizing in those two runs. Sri, why don't you describe how this felt from your end to be connected up to this organizing effort in Texas and why it's attractive to you after putting out a lot of energy into a couple runs and knowing what uh, the com- kind of commitment politics takes. Well, so just for those who didn't hear the first podcast, you know, in my own race for Congress in Texas 22 and 2018, we we actually started up our own relational organizing program focused on immigrants and, you know, reaching out to communities in 27 different languages, which helped us more than double the Asian American turnout. And in some groups got their turnout up to 83%. But then in our second race, the party in their infinite wisdom actually pushed us off of that. And they tried to get us to do a very traditional campaign where we just bought the TV ads and did the things that everybody does and spend millions of dollars on it. And I didn't really see uh, the results. In fact, I still have no evidence that the TV ads actually moved the needle at all because they, they said they moved the needle to the point where we were up by five points, except that the polls were off by 13 points on election day. So After that, I ruminated for about a week in West Virginia, and then I went to Georgia where we had two months to try and flip two Senate seats and win the entire U.S. Senate. And there I said the only thing I wanted to work on was relational organizing. And because they were doing everything, like literally they spent half a billion dollars there, we were able to buy the whole menu, which meant that we got to run the largest relational organizing program ever in American history there. But we had less than 40 days to do it, which people said you couldn't do. But, but just like Lana was talking about doubling and doubling again, th- this, this one, we actually have the numbers to prove it. We had a, 120 voters, not 120,000, 120 voters nine days in. 31 days later, it had doubled and doubled and doubled again. And you can see the, the growth curve. On election day, we had over 160,000 voters in our relational network. So if we had a few more weeks, we would have had over a million people in it. Now, the day after we, we won that race in Georgia, I was trying to celebrate, but it turned out to be the date was January 6th, and we didn't have a chance to celebrate. However, I thought that once the Biden administration came in, once we had the House, the Senate, and the White House, that things would start to go back to normal. 
I spent the last year and a half in D.C., but as we've seen, things are not normal in our state and in our country right now. And I just kept watching this from, from D.C. I watched Uvalde and the, the massacre there of children. I watched what Roe versus Wade is doing to our state. And I know because I look at the data and I've been the guy who spent millions of dollars on these TV ads that this is the thing. It's not just going to change Texas. It's going to change the entire country when we do it at not just the level of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, but millions of people. And all year long, people were telling me, no, but Georgia was a fluke. Georgia was an accident. Like that was a special situation. All this attention, the whole country was watching Georgia. That won't ever happen again. And what they were telling me is that they don't believe in Texas. They don't believe in the volunteer strength, the energy, the passion of our people, because that's what these programs run on. It runs on volunteers actually putting their energy into something that works, something that actually changes votes, not, not just raises money, but it actually changes votes and changes elections. And talking to people around the state all year long, I was talking to various groups of people. And finally, it was it was that that call like and we're not going to go into how that call started, but <laughs> that, that call that actually connected me with Lana and Blue Action. And they said, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we want to do. We want to prove to the rest of the country that, yes, it can happen here in Texas and not just at the level of hundreds of thousands, but the level of millions of people. The thing that we should be doing everywhere in the country that's that's going to change the way we do politics. It's going to change voter apathy. It's going to rebuild trust in our institutions. And it's also actually going to give us the kind of government that we deserve. It's, it's the simplest thing. But it's also the hardest thing for us to do because it's the opposite of what we're told to do. We want to do that. They said, we, we, we need you to come back here. And this is before Kansas, where we saw that they, they had the, that big vote on abortion. This is before Alaska. And if people really doubt after seeing Georgia, Kansas and Alaska, well, they're in for a big surprise in November in Texas. I mean, you know, for us, Nathaniel, it was it was an easy decision in that we had always relationally organized. We were just doing it on the streets right? Canvassing and talking to our neighbors. And so we understood the power in that. This was just the next level and gave us the opportunity to build a bigger network of voters. And we'd been circling this idea for a while, but I knew enough to know that I couldn't do it. I needed somebody. And that's where, you know, Shri coming on was, was the perfect person because he had the experience that we needed. And it was somebody I could say, hey, go do this thing that we want to do, but we don't know exactly how to do it. Sri, when you kind of arrived and took stock of what they'd already been doing, what did you feel like was needed? Did they need money? Did they need more technology? Did they need process? Did they need extra leaders or none of that or all of it? What did you assess and see or what kind of changes have you made? Well, so, I mean, we definitely need most of those things. I mean, we need money. And if there's anybody listening out there who wants to support something really innovative, uh, you can go to 2millionTexans.com and donate to us. But the main thing we need money for is just to scale up because we're growing so fast and we're exploding with growth. The other part is just uh, applying the data and the technology, like you said, to these principles, because relational organizing isn't new. It's been, I mean, it's been done for centuries. In fact, it was the way that all campaigns were in the 1800s because we didn't have TV. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have all, all these ads. What we started out with, with this base of, I mean, thousands of women across the state who are organizing their own communities relationally, right? They, I mean, they're doing the thing that, that people should be doing if they want to win elections on a local level and they're winning local elections. It's just combining that and turbocharging it with a tool, the same tool that we use in my campaign, 
and the one that we used in Georgia that allows people to connect all of that work. The way I've described it to people is, look, you know, Lana is doing relational organizing in her own community. Carrie Collier Brown, the founder, she's doing relational organizing work in her neighborhood. All of us are doing this work together. What the tool allows us to do, this is not a texting app. It's not a email app. It's a relationship program. What it allows us to do is to stitch all those relationships together, all those networks of relationships so that Lana and Carrie and Shri, our network gets tied into uh, Lena Hidalgo's network in Harris County down in Houston, you know, or Greg Kassar's network in Austin or, uh, or uh, Alisa Simmons in, up in Fort Worth, or Beto O'Rourke, or Luke Warford, or all of these networks. So we're stitching together all of these networks together with, with a tool and with a, with a database so that we're not duplicating effort anymore. Like the, the relational work that, that Lan and Blue Action have been doing now can be connected to all of these folks so that I'm not knocking the same doors that, that you're knocking. We're not phone banking the same people. When, when I was running in 2018, even though we had a coordinated campaign, no coordinated campaign I've ever seen has actually been act truly coordinated. It's a duplicated campaign because even if you buy some mailers together or pay for some canvassers together, what, what ends up happening is that those, those Beto volunteers would they would knock on the same doors yesterday or even the same day. We'd see them crisscrossing a neighborhood because there's nobody to tell them, oh, you do this, you do that, everybody stay apart. But you can't do that with relational organizing because if Lana marks her cousin in the network um, and her high school classmate, I can't mark that as my cousin and my high school classmate unless we went to high school together, or unless we're in the same family. And to, to my knowledge, Lana and I are not in the same family, but I've not done 23andMe, so I can't say for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, you know, in addition, Shree, something that I love about what we're doing is that candidates have done this, right? That they've used this tool to organize, but but when their campaign dies, so does all of the information in the network, right? It's not ongoing. And what we're doing here, because we're not tied to a candidate and because we are trying to come together with every org and every county party and every candidate that wants to participate is that this network will live on. So while our goal is to bring 2 million people into it by this November to affect this election, you know, it, November 9th, we start building for 4 million Texans to help have a stronghold in, in 2024. In terms of the things that we need, when you say, do you need money? We do, but we don't need as much money as anything else that you spend on campaigns. This is literally the highest return on investment, the highest impact per hour of time spent, the highest impact per dollar. And I'm not saying that just as Sri Kulkarni. You can look at the Analyst Institute and there's over 400 randomized controlled trials which show the, the impact of this is just greater than anything, which makes sense. I mean, if you think about it, if you know, Nathaniel, if you get an ad on your phone saying, you know, Beto O'Rourke's a great guy, vote for him. Lana gets an unknown text message that says, hello, Lana, um, Beto O'Rourke is wonderful. You should come out to this thing. And then I get my high school classmate saying, hey, Shri, I haven't talked to you in a couple of years. You know, how's your family doing? How's your mom? You know, oh, great. By the way, I've been volunteering for this guy, Beto O'Rourke. He's going to change everything in this state for our kids, for our women. Obviously, I mean, common sense would tell you that if the three of us were unlikely voters, I'm the most likely to vote because of that contact. It definitely has the biggest impact, but it's also the cheapest thing because we're not paying for ads. We're not paying for mailers or TV. The only thing that the money goes into is staff so that we can actually train people and scale this up. And then that leads to your other question about process, right? The process that we brought to this is we've trained thousands. I mean, I trained thousands of people myself in both Georgia and here. This is a different thing for people to do. It's hard for people to wrap their mind around the fact that they've always volunteered for campaigns and what 
what they get told to do. If if I say I want to volunteer for for Joe Biden or for Beto O'Rourke or for Stacey Abrams, they'll say, all right, here's here's a list of strangers. Go knock on their door. Here's a list of strangers. Go call them. Right. Nobody has ever asked me in my entire life if I wanted to volunteer for a campaign. Hey, who do you know? Who do you know? Which is the first question we should be asking them. If a 19-year-old comes up to me, I shouldn't be asking him to knock on some 60-year-old's doors. I should be asking him, who do you know? Show me your Twitter. Show me your, your Instagram. Show me your TikTok and tell me who are the other 19-year-olds you know because they're not voting right now. Those are the people we should reach out to first. So that process, how do you train people? How do you get people accustomed to an idea that's completely opposite to everything they've been taught? That, that's the process that we brought from my campaign to Georgia to now to 2 million Texans and merging that process, that data and that tools with this amazing base of volunteers, of grassroots strength that, that they've been doing this kind of work. It, it was the perfect marriage. I want to ask one question that maybe a lot of people will find boring, but I'm curious about the answer, which is... I'm aware, uh, as since I follow the political tech world, that there are a bunch of different commercial relationship management software tools. There are also consulting firms that are building their own or have their own. How did you pick the one that you picked? Or did you just say, oh, we used it before and I know it? Do you have a sense of why that one is superior to others? And one last piece of the question, do you run into problems with some of these networks using other tools to do relational and how do you pull this all together? So, so, okay. Great question. Great. I mean, like this is, this is definitely like a uh, political, like data nerd question, you know, but it's a, it's, it's a question that we dealt with a lot. lot. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot of apps out there and I don't want to upset. I know people, I know people who work for all of these, you know, some are nonprofit, some are private and, and they're all doing good work, you know? The thing is, because relational is this uh, relatively new thing, you know, at least data wise, not, you know, as a human thing, but, you know, combining the data and creating these networks, people are trying to do a lot of different things with it. And if you're trying to do 10 different things, it's hard to do any one of them really well. Right. And so the reason that we picked this app for my campaign and for Georgia and for here for Texas is that we are laser focused on doing one thing. For example, we are not doing voter registration with this. There are people who do relational voter registration. Absolutely. That's not what we're doing with this program at all. This is specifically relational GOTV. Is the program reach? Yes, we're using the tool Reach. We even turned off the the voter registration feature because we don't want we don't want anybody uh, our users to get distracted by a lot of things. Because when you're doing when you're dealing with such large numbers, thousands or tens of thousands of volunteers, you only have so much of their attention span, so much of their time. All of the things that we do are based around the idea of working smarter, not harder, and making use of that valuable time. Everybody gives up their volunteer time. If you have one hour of time, we want to make it the most valuable one hour. If you have three hours, we want to make it more valuable. And so we are laser focused on what's called in the in the data world RVT, relational voter turnout, you know. But the the big point for us is it's not just about am I making a relational contact with Lana? It's about growing the network as large as possible, as fast as possible. And and what I mean by that is that if we have a network of, you know, 10,000 people, we can contact everybody within that uh, within that district, you know. Um, but if you have a network of hundreds of thousands of people, all of a sudden, you know, you have more of your targets within that network. And if your network has now grown to the size of 2 million or more people, the choice of like, you know, which targets to pick 
it, it becomes almost an irrelevant question. It's like the difference between Newtonian physics and relativity. The space is stretching around us, literally, right? <laughs> it's an analogy for the physics nerds out there, right? But as you stretch the space around us, if all of the targets are here, then we don't even ask the same questions. Because usually, what are the kind of questions we ask? How many attempts have you made, right? I, I've attempted this person eight times. How many times have you touched this person? Eight, eight touches by a door knock or a phone call or a mailer, right? But if you're asking me how many attempts is it going to take to get to my cousin? The answer is one. One. I'm going to call her and I'm going to say, hey, cuz, can you vote tomorrow? And this is exactly what happened, actually, by the way. My cousin, she didn't vote ever until she was 40 years old. She didn't vote for a Democrat. She didn't vote for a Republican. It's not an extra $10 million or $20 million of ads that got her to vote. It wasn't a thousand unknown text messages that got her to vote. That's not changing her behavior. What was the thing that got her to vote for the first time? Me, <laughs> her cousin. Well, you ran for Congress. Is that why she voted? Well, but that but that same thing is happening all over. It's you don't have to run for Congress because like Lana's, you know, best friend from high school, my next door neighbor, I could be the one to turn them out. Those six million people who don't vote, they are immune to these TV ads. So So how yeah. does this particular program facilitate I mean, the software facilitate doing that? It presents to each person, I mean Explain how it works. They bring in their network. They match it to it. So, so it's it's actually really simple. Like mo- most of these things are much simpler than we make it out to be. But it's it's hard to get people to adjust their thinking to it. So one, you you build your network, right? And you you can build your network in a couple of ways. So um, most people, like you and I, we probably have our networks on our phone. I have 5,000 contacts on my phone and the app will just take the voter file and say, here are the people in the voter file whose names match the names on your phone. Add as many people as you want. Just add them to the network, right? If you're 21 years old and you have 50 contacts in your phone because you don't get phone numbers anymore from people, you just get their Instagram handle, you just get their TikTok, you just get their their DMs, you can't phone bank these kids. Like there's no way to phone bank them because they don't have each other's phone numbers, right? The, the only thing that they can do though is they search in the app, they search for a friend who they have on their DMs. So we tell them canvas your DMs and they will look through their DMs on on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram. And if they don't know their friend's name because their handle is different, then you ask them through a DM. So whatever way you communicate, that's the way that you reach out to your friends. It's not based on texting or Facebook or Instagram. It's just based on the relationship, the communication method that you use. So you build your network and the, the app tells you exactly who are the people in your network haven't voted in 2018 or 2020 and every day of early voting who hasn't voted yet. So if I have a network of 15 people, maybe one of them hasn't voted yet. I built my network to 1300 people and I've got 198 people who didn't vote in 2018. If I had to contact 5,000 people, it would take me forever. But all I have to do is contact the exact people in my phone who didn't vote. And then the last thing we want you to do is the people who are voting, who are strong Democrats, strong progressives that are all on your phone. You say, what's the point of adding them? Invite them all to do it too. And that's how you relationally grow and you exponentially grow and you explode into this giant network. I don't quite understand the part that you were talking about, about pulling together different networks of different people around the state. How does that work? How is that different than one person adding their network? What does it do for you when you're, you have this aggregation of networks and how sure. does that so, happen? So that, that, that's also part of the, um, the uniqueness of this program, because even in Georgia, we basically had two candidates. They were both statewide, Ossoff and Warnock, and it was one. It was almost one campaign as we're going into the, the runoff. Here, though, we have 4,000 candidates across the state of Texas, right? 
And if you're a justice of the peace candidate, for example, you may have two volunteers, you have a whole district to knock, you can't really do much on your own, right? And you can't raise the money for it. And you're depending on other campaigns above you to, you know, increase turnout or, or hand out slate pieces. But the, here's the thing, if you have contacts, if you and your two volunteers to together have, you know, 400 contacts that you could add to the network, right? Those contacts, whether they live in your Justice of Peace network or not, if they live somewhere in Texas, those are voters that can vote for some of these candidates and, and a lot of them actually. And vice versa, if there's someone else in the network, whether they're somewhere else in, in Houston or somewhere else in Texas, and they have someone that they know who has moved to your area, all of those networks are stitched together now so that we can work with each candidate. So we can work with a county judge and say, here are the volunteers, no matter where they are in Texas or even out of Texas. I have friends in Charlotte, North Carolina, who are Texas. Texas exes, but they have friends who are in Texas who are Texas voters. My brother is in Washington, D.C. His friends from high school are Texas voters. You give them the list of volunteers that are needed to turn out this set of voters. So if you need 50,000 voters to win your election down in, you know, somewhere in Brazoria County, well, I've got a list here of a thousand volunteers that if you just contact those thousand volunteers, they all have those 50,000 voters phone numbers personally. They know those 50,000 voters personally. And so you can contact the volunteer rather than trying to contact the voter. And you count on the volunteer to do the work, not the voter to do the work. Does that make so, sense? But doesn't that mean that one volunteer in a, in a part of the state that has numerous local electeds and federal and judges is suddenly going to be asked to organize across multiple candidacies and might might they not just get overwhelmed by what's essentially 300 campaigns that are relevant to them saying uh, I need you I need you to all contact Joe Smith down the block so here's how it actually works right and people I was down ballot and up ballot Beto O'Rourke was up ballot for me as a Senate candidate. And then all the other candidates were down ballot for me as, you know, constable and, and judge and justice of peace, et cetera. All of those, those candidates, you know, they would always say, tell people to vote down ballot, tell people to vote down ballot. We, we tried this with behavioral science, trying to figure out, okay, what's a thing that we could say to get somebody to vote all the way down the ballot? Because Republicans- They don't, don't even vote. know the term down ballot, by the way. Right, right, yeah. right. So like, like uh, I mean, one thing you can do is give them a slate piece. And so they'll just- go down the list, okay, which is useful. But if somebody wasn't planning to vote all the way down the ballot, there was nothing that we could say like that this is, it's a good thing to do or it's a bad thing not to do this that would get them to do the thing that they weren't planning to do. But there was one thing that we could say that did. You know what it was? Nathaniel, I know you don't know any of these judges on this list, but you know me, right? You trust me. I'm telling you that it's important for these people to get elected. Otherwise, like our families are going to be in trouble in this neighborhood. And so that, that was the one thing that could get people to not just vote for Joe Biden and walk out, just to actually vote all the way down the ballot. It's someone that they trusted. They're not going to memorize all these names. Now, here's the thing. In practical terms, the average person is adding about 50 relationships to the network. They build their network about 50 people. They don't have to call all 50 people because most of the people in their network are voting, right? The average person... Uh, you know, about 10%, somewhere between seven to 12 people will actually be on their list as their personal turnout universe. So now I'm not asking you to go block walk for hours and hours in the hot sun. I'm not asking you to call hundreds and hundreds of people. My mom didn't even want to phone bank for me in my own campaign, <laughs> hated doing it, right? But I'm saying, Nathaniel, here's 12 people, right? If you can get six of these 12 people out to vote, we win the election. And what I mean by that is that um, 
is if, from uh, all, across all of these people if that all happens. Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. If we got if we got 40,000 people to just literally do this and find six people that they could turn out across the state, that would be more votes than was the entire margin for the state of Texas in 2018. If we got everybody who was volunteering or working on a Democratic campaign, these people are all doing this work right now. They're doing all sorts of work for all sorts of other uh, efforts. You know, like I said, raising money, you know, doing rallies, TV, all, all these kind of things. But if every single person who is just volunteering or, or working on a Democratic campaign right now could find six people in their phone who they could turn out personally, that would be 1.2 million extra Democratic votes. Republicans would never win in Texas again. Unless they were doing the same thing. Yeah, I think this is where we remind people that we had an opportunity to flip our state legislature, right, our state house in 2020, and we missed that mark by 24,000 votes. Had we flipped that state house, which we only need nine seats to pick up there, we would not have saw the abortion bill. We wouldn't have saw the voting rights bill. The list goes on, right? So we are 24,000 votes away in key communities to having a Democratic majority in the Texas State House. And that's a big point because in, in Washington or around the country, people look at Texas and they just see the score where they say, oh, you're red, right? We're not red. Like 24,000 votes out of 6 million people that could have voted, that's not a red state. That's that's just a, a margin of error in those nine seats of 0.2% of the electorate, less than 0.2% of the electorate. That's how close we were to flipping the entire Texas State House. And you can look at, you can look at numbers from 2020. I encourage people, look at how many voters came out of Austin, Texas for Joe Biden versus LA. Because one of those states that you think won, you know, those numbers didn't. If you listen to the conventional wisdom right now, Stacey Abrams is going to lose in Georgia. Beto is going to lose in Texas. And quite soundly, it's a midterm with the party in power loses seats. Those two states, the polls don't look good both of them running seven points behind, give or take. Unfortunately, I would love to elect both of them. And I really would love to get rid of the incumbents. But that's the conventional wisdom. Obviously, we're a ways out from Election Day and a lot of things can change. And programs like this can make a difference on the margins. What are you seeing about the politics in Texas that maybe isn't reflected in that conventional wisdom right now. I can give like more of a data approach and maybe like Atlanta can, can give like the more like on the ground, you know, she's, uh, she's been doing this work every single day this, for the past several years. What I'll say about the polls is that in my own election, you know, where we spent millions and millions of dollars on TV, the proof that it, that it was working was those polls that I was going from negative three to plus one, from plus one to plus three, from plus three to plus five. But then on election day, how far off were the polls? The polls were off by 13 points in my race. It was so hard for me to understand what happened here. How is it that all this evidence that we were actually winning the race turned out to be wrong? Was there Russian hacking? And I asked my other colleagues, because nine out of 10 of us completely outraise our Republican opponents. And then it dawned on me a week later that there's a Venn diagram of the people who answer polls and the people who watch TV, which is not the same Venn diagram as the people who vote. And it's getting farther and farther apart. And so uh, I would caution people a little bit on what you're looking at with the polls versus like looking at actual election results and, and votes. And I, I would say- the, the, Well, lately, the thing, I mean, lately the polls have been overstating our strength rather than understating it. What I would say is this, I, I, I would say 
it doesn't depend just on the environment out there. And I, I realize, like, if, you know, if you're maybe if you're in a 20 point red state, maybe th th these things are completely off. But like, like I said, for somebody who was off by by 13 points in the polls, there's there's obviously data that's not being reflected there in the polls clearly, right? But the the other thing is when when people ask me in in Washington, you know, well, what you know, uh, do you think that Beto has a chance? I say it doesn't depend on just one person. It depends on what all of us do across the state. This kind of work that coming from the ground up, th these are the kind of things that are not captured uh, in those polls. Is it? I mean, is it your guess that the Republicans outperformed in that election because they were doing better organizing face to face? I mean, could that be part of it? Because they are doing that. They are doing it through the churches. They're doing it lots of ways, right? And they, and I'm sure they're still doing it. So, so, so I would say this: the the um, the Republican Party in my district, at least, they had their own relational network. It was a good old boy network, right? And, and they had a new network too. This kind of work, you say, could Republicans do this? They kind of did. It was called QAnon. They they brought together all of these people who were conspiracy theorists who had not been voting before. They were all connected to each other. They're all playing this game, trying to figure out all the clues. And they all came out for Donald Trump. There's just masses of people that we. I got more votes than Tom Delay. I got more votes than Pete Olson than anybody ever had ever in the history of my district. And then my opponent got 28,000 extra votes on top of that for these new people. And you would see them, these bumper stickers across my district saying WWG1, WWGA. It stands for where we go, one, we go all. It was a QAnon bumper sticker. There's people are just coming out of the woodwork. Well, we've got to do the same thing, but we do it with immigrants. We do it with young people, Gen Z. We do it with communities of color in these safe democratic districts. The, the lowest turnout districts, the lowest 11 turnout districts in 2018, the last time Beto O'Rourke ran, were the 11 safest democratic districts. The whole state was turning out at 46%. Those districts were turning out at 31 or 32%. That's not about the polls or about the environment. That's about uh, groups of people that are not actually engaged. And the way that you engage with those people, if there's a, a group of people that is going to church every Sunday and they're going souls to the polls, going to that church isn't going to get you any more votes. But for every one person who is in that church, there are two people who are at home watching TV, you know, football or doing something else on Sunday. Those are the people who are not showing up to the polls. So the best way to get to those people is talk to the people who go to that church and say, hey, all the folks in this neighborhood around you, <laughs> here's the list of people. You know exactly where they live. You know, they're your next door neighbor. They're your best friend. They're your cousin. Bring those people with you when you go souls to the polls because they're not voting and tell them exactly who they are. These are the kind of things that can sway an election. And in Georgia, what we saw was even with half a billion dollars spent, like there's no way that you could have spent more money on Georgia. The whole state was saturated with TV, with mailers. Every door had been knocked. Every phone bank had been done. Even still, with all of that saturating the market, we were still able to get almost 4% bump in turnout among the people in our relational network. And, and among the youngest voters, it was a 9% bump in turnout. And among the least likely voters, the ones who never show up at all, we got an 11% bump in turnout. Those are like science fiction numbers for data people. How does that compare to like the QAnon bump? Like, should we be starting DNON or something? <laughs> Do we need a conspiracy theory of our own? I mean, or is it just relational organizing that's going to do it? I mean, we, we don't need a conspiracy theory uh, other than, you know, uh, that the Republicans are destroying our state and and that that, to be honest, they don't actually um, they don't represent the, the views of the majority of the state. You know, I mean, that, that's the truth. Like when you ask Texans about things like like guns, right, like universal background checks. 
there's no there's no debate about about this. You know, the majority of Texans, they want these kind of things. We just don't have a government that represents us. But the thing is, do people care enough? The, the, all those six million people, do they care enough or do they pay enough attention to politics? And that's a big part, too. The kind of attacks in the media, the trust, the lack of trust in media, in our government, in our in our elections themselves, that helps the worst actor because a lot of people will say, oh, both sides are bad. Everything, it's all the same. I can't tell you how many people among those six million tell me that kind of thing, that it's all the same. And hitting people with more ads and more text messages from people that they don't know. I mean, everybody I know is just getting these unknown text messages. People who know who they're voting for, they don't like them. And that drives some of this voter apathy. They think of politics as just another telemarketing scheme. And the way that we, we combat that. So when I was in the Foreign Service, Russia was putting out disinformation all the time. And we would try to put out information. Like to counter it, right? Whether it's like the CIA is filling up a plane with dead bodies, or whether it's in America, it's like Hillary Clinton is running a pedophilia ring out of a out of a pizza shop. The thing is, six blocks from my house. Yes, exactly. Right. So rude. Information does not counter that, though. What counters that? What What is that that counters disinformation? Trust. That's the only thing that counters it. You you can put out all the information you want, all the facts you want. People don't like sharing facts. They like sharing conspiracy theories. But when I tell you, hey, Nathaniel, you know, you've known me for 20 years. That's a bunch of bullshit, Nathaniel. Like that's the thing that you, you counter disinformation with. Trust in someone that, that they actually believe in. Lana, what's your take on what's going on in Texas in 2022? I mean, you know, it's so hard to say except for the issues that are on the ballot right now really matter to people. Public education is on the ballot and we're not talking about it enough. And in many of our rural communities in Texas, the public education system is all they have for education, right? Our urban areas, when our leadership is promoting vouchers or, or different you know, ways to privatize school or pulling funding from school, they're harming in rural communities one of the biggest employers. In urban areas, we have charter schools and private schools. I can send my kids to a number of places. In rural areas, they don't have that. So in Texas right now, I think one of the winning issues is public education and the failure of our leadership for public education. And those rural voters, a lot of them vote Republican for other issues. But right now they're showing up and they're polling and they're saying that is not what we want. We want a strong public school system. We want to be able to pay our teachers well. A lot of the public schools in rural areas in Texas are going to four day school days because they can't afford to pay teachers enough. So they're saying to them, well, you'll only have to work for four days. And, and so public education is on the ballot. What we've seen with Roe in the state, and, and we're basically at a total abortion ban now, that is on the ballot. And people on both sides of the aisle think it's too extreme, right? There are dangers that are going to, you know, or, or situations for women where the abortion is going to save their life. And in Texas right now, you know, the doctor really has to guarantee that the woman was going to die in order to abort the child. And there are people on both sides of the aisle that know, and we saw that in Kansas, right? We saw that in Kansas. And so I think these two issues are going to be the thing that turn out voters. And I think we're going to see a lot of split ticket voting and, and people will argue with me all day about that. But I think that we're going to see people that normally vote Republican that might vote Republican for the judges and the things at the bottom of the ballot are going to vote for an attorney general, are going to vote for a lieutenant governor and potentially a governor to change some of these issues statewide. We've had Republican leadership here for almost three decades, right? And so all the failures that we're seeing at you know our state level it, it, it are being pinned on them right there. And, and then also what happened 
in Uvalde really changed a lot of hearts and minds around what we're doing with permitless carry in the state. As Shri said, 82% of, of people in Texas want background checks. Um, you know, we want red flag laws. We want these things. And it's just been our state leadership that are cashing big checks from the NRA that have been afraid to go there. So I, I, I think that we're going to be pleasantly surprised at, at some of the voters that show up and vote our way that haven't in the past. But more importantly to me is that we don't really need to turn out those voters. You know, we have six million voters that just don't show up every cycle. And if we can turn out even a fraction of those that share the same values, we're going to win. We only needed 200,000 of them for Beto to take Ted Cruz's seat in 2018. And as Shri said, we could have pulled those 200,000 votes out of one safe congressional district in Texas where people decide not to show up because they think, I don't need to. I'm fine. I live in a blue district in Texas. And so by concentrating, get out the vote efforts, using them strategically in the communities that we need, we can gap those numbers. I have no doubt about it. I mean, I, look, Nathaniel, I, I think like Roe versus Wade, Uvalde, and and honestly, operations like Beto and, and Stacey Abrams and those candidacies themselves, I, I say they're, they're like the sun. They can heat up the ground in front of us. And what we're usually doing is we're taking out, you know, pots of water and say, hey, we can boil water with this sun, this heat and this energy because we got all these volunteer rallies. But then if you, if you take them and have them call strangers, that's like boiling water. My point is, could we just take out some solar panels? Can we connect them and capture all that energy and power the grid of the entire state? And that's what we're trying to do with a mobile app that connects all these people because all of that volunteer energy, it should be trained on the most impactful people, which is the people that you know, right? It shouldn't be trained on strangers. If you have a mass of volunteers who are energized in a way that they they probably weren't 12 months ago, if they're this energized in Texas, then, then the, the best use of their time is to say, all right, take those volunteers and see how many of those 6 million people you can actually get out. And the problem with the polls, as you mentioned, is that it, this is a, about turnout. The, the polls don't measure turnout. The polls just measure which way are we going in well, this race. Well, they try to race, guess right? at it, but yes. They, yeah, they I mean, to... I mean it's, it's, if, if, we, if we get turnout bumped, you know, three or 4%, the kind of things that happen with relational or organizing or even greater, 9 to 11% with those groups that vote in such small numbers, you can't capture that. Somebody who wasn't voting before, how, which polls are they being captured in, you know? I mean, so that, that's the kind of thing that I, I feel like we should be looking at what's actually changing on the ground. And, 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 and this is, you know, based on data, the thing that impacts turnout the most by every study that we've ever seen is relational contact. How do we do most of that? You know? I, I would say that's the thing that affects it the second most. Uh, I think that's the, the tactical thing that affects it the most, but the strategic thing that affects it the most or the systematic thing that affects it the most is what is happening in the world. What's happening with inflation? What's happening with the way we are governed, the what's happening with what our politicians are saying, that stuff is prior to the, all of the tactical uh, stuff, which, you know, w which makes a difference on the margin. So I guess what I'm saying is the thing out of the things that we can control, the things yeah. that people spend money on, like everybody, like, ah, yeah. I, I want to spend money. I'm going to donate money to what, to a TV ad? to a mailer? Or are you going to donate money to the thing that actually we've proven has a greater impact than any of the, like we have studies that show th this is, has the highest ROI. Why not spend more money on the thing with the highest ROI out of any of these things? You know, and, I mean, I would argue in my experience too, that, that it's, it's talking about policy instead of candidates. 
that, that get people to also engage and show up. If we're knocking on a door and we're saying this school board candidate is going to do this at your kid's school or, or so-and-so is going to fill this pothole or this person can lower our property taxes, people who don't normally engage will show up for that because it affects them on a day-to-day basis, right? But if I show up and I say to you, hey, vote for Joe Biden because that guy's going to save the world, people are like, eh, fuck off. Like, you know, I, I, whatever, <laughs> right? But if you, sorry. We're being very frank on this. I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, you know, like, but, but really, like when you're talking about things that are going to affect you every day and affect, you know, if, if you can put gas in your car or groceries on the table, but the message has to come from the right messenger. And that messenger has to be somebody that you know that can explain to you, Nathaniel, why I know we share the same value system and why I would choose to vote for this person because I believe they will bring this policy and that it will improve our lives. It's a subset of the of the potential voters that are relevant here. It's the people who aren't already for you for sure. And it's the people who wouldn't be voting without bugging them, right? The second one is by definition the first. So my cousin, she didn't vote for anybody until she was 40. So she wasn't a Republican or Democrat. She was neat. You could count her as whatever you want in the score. She was just nothing, right? She just didn't, wasn't part of the system. And it was only me that got her out to vote. There's also some, like a, a more mundane example, right? Um, but it's, I mean, it's surprising to a lot of people. Uh, there was a guy who had um, an event for me at his house, a meet and greet. He had my yard sign in front of his house for a month. And when I checked the voter file, he hadn't voted. And I called him afterwards and I said, wait, how could you possibly not have voted? And he said, oh, I was just busy last week. You know, I forgot. I figured somebody would go do it. Right. And and how many people are the, like this where this doesn't really occupy much space? Like you and I are like reading, you know, political news and commentary and data and all sorts of things. How many people don't want to think about politics all day long? And so, yeah, maybe they would have voted. But you know what? They, they picked up their kids late that day. They forgot whatever. But if you had it in your phone that these six people, you who care so much, me, Lana, who like who knows what these these elections actually mean? If I if I could see on my phone, oh my cousin didn't vote and it's Monday, I just call her on Tuesday. Hey, cuz, can you vote tomorrow? It'll take five minutes. Like that that's going to have a much bigger impact. It's not the the TV ad. And so I guess my point to people is, you know, if you're going to spend it, and, and we can measure this, right? If you're going to spend an hour of time doing anything else versus this, this is going to have a greater impact on turnout. If you're going to spend a thousand dollars on anything, a thousand dollars on TV, a thousand dollars on mail, or a thousand dollars on this, it's going to have a greater impact. Why shouldn't we be spending as much money and as much time on the thing that's having the biggest impact. But you know? and the thing is, is that we're not even going to make people look at their phone to figure it out, right? This is the the genius in the program that, that we are offering, which is we're going to reach out to everybody that's been a part of the network, starting on early voting and saying, these are the people we need you to reach out to. The people who are least likely to vote will be at the top and the people that are most likely to vote will be at the bottom. And we're going to follow up every day and remind you, Nathaniel, these are your people. I need you to talk to them. So we're going to take the guesswork out of it for everybody. So let's say I know some people who from college or from Texas or whatever. If I wanted to join this program, what do I do? Uh, so uh, here's what you do. Uh, you text the word REACH, R-E-A-C-H, to the number 33339. And so you'll get a link on your phone for Android or iPhone. You uh, download the app. 
once you're in the app, you have to join the 2 million Texans campaign because the app is for campaigns all over the country. Uh, I mean, AOC started this app, you know, back in 2018. We used it in Georgia. There's lots of campaigns doing it. We're just the biggest one in the country. So you join the 2 million Texans campaign. Um, and then you go into your phone and if you uh, import your contacts in my reach, if say you have 5,000 contacts like me, but maybe, you know, a few of them are in Texas, you can search for by an area code, a Texas area code and just find your Texas area codes. Or you can just search your friends that you know them there, add them to the network. If you have if you have 10 to 15 people um, in, in your network in, in Texas, on average, you're going to have one or two people who didn't vote. I mean, that's just kind of the average of, of all of us, you know. That's, I mean, that I, I mean, except I have friends in 50 states and a lot of campaigns. So if I do, I have to join separately every uh, different different campaign around the country, like my my South Carolina people, my Indiana people, all of my hopeless states. If 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 we had campaigns like this in all 50 states. Yeah, you would have to, but we, I mean, right now we don't, this is the first ever, like as far as I know, I've never seen a statewide coordinated relational campaign before in, in Georgia. Like I said, there were only two candidates here. We're coordinating every single uh, race from top to bottom there. You can look in the app. There's, there's nobody who's, who's doing this on the level. I've, I've talked to people and they're doing national campaigns. And then I said, how many voters do you have? And like, well, we're trying to get to 5,000. We just hit 110,000 this past week and we're six weeks before the election. We're going to double four more times before that. So yes, we should be doing Doing that across the like, hopefully, if we do this right, and on November eighth, we we have two million Texans that we have GOTV'd through this uh, app. On November 9th, we don't stop. We don't have to ask you again. Like with phone banking, you have to call ten million people this year. You'll call ten million people in twenty twenty four. They'll be the same people. You'll make the same ads, same mailers. I'm never going to ask you again, Nathaniel. How am I going to ask you in October? Is your cousin still your cousin? I'm not going to ask you in twenty twenty four. Are they still your cousin? Because that that relationship is still there. But on November 9th, we start building 6 million Texans across the state. And if we have 6 million people in the network, it's almost impossible mathematically for Republicans to win. But we also start building 50 million Americans because you're right. Your friends are all over the country. My friends are all over the country, too. All of them should be part of these networks. We should have a nationwide network of Democrats and progressives that are all linked together. So if if relational organizing is uh, as much of a no-brainer as you both suggest then why are we so slow in implementing this? Why is this not housed in the Texas Democratic Party and at the DNC? What do you think is blocking that? So I've got I've got two answers, you know, one that's like a little bit of a cynical answer and one that's like just, you know, based on observation and, and Lana may have different answers. So one answer I would give is, well, if, if a vaccine actually saves your life, why, and it's free, why doesn't everybody take it? <laughs> A lot of people just don't, I mean, they, they're resistant to doing something different that they haven't done before. But the cynical answer is that there is a political media industry that if if actually this was implemented across the country, this would this would destroy a lot of people's financial model, right? If, if you make all your money telling people you have to buy TV ads and I'm coming in here and saying for one fiftieth of the price, you could get more votes like that. That completely upends this entire system. And there's just a lot of money to be made by preserving the system the way it is. Do you agree with that, Lana? I do. Um, I, I also think that... Um, because about any consultant that I've heard talk about it would say, you need a mix of stuff. And you can't leave TV unanswered or it will, you know, it will get, get you or you can't, not, you can't be silent on social media or any of the different 
silos of the campaign. And we're not arguing that it should be one thing, right? Like we absolutely believe it needs to be a little bit of all the things, you know, and that's why our organization still has people knocking doors every weekend, right? Like we're not pulling people off the doors to do this. This is in addition to, it's a conversation about reallocating those funds, right? And it's a conversation about looking how we spend resources and and it always takes people time to grab onto innovation. And when you're a candidate that has been told, hey, you need to spend millions of dollars on TV and, and you're answering to your donors, the conversation with them that, hey, this is the new best thing is, is challenging. And, and to Shree's point, there's also a class of people that make their living that way. My favorite analogy that Shree has said before is that what we're trying to to explain to campaigns to do with this is, hey, we've got this vaccine that's going to help you turn out more voters for less price. And they're like, but we already bought all the antibiotics. So like, what do we do now? You know, or, or not, not even that we already bought them. We have a budget of a million dollars for antibiotics. Right. And, and- have you sure that they're not haven't bought ivermectin? <laughs> I, some, I mean, I'll have to call I, the feed store and find out. I mean, but- I mean, I, I mean, Lana says we need a mix. I, I, I say this, like, honestly, in my future world, like the way that we handle all campaigns, we start with as big a relational network as you can get through volunteers. And then once you, once you figure out what the saturation point is with that, then you say, okay, here are areas where we just have no connections whatsoever. Like our relational network just peters out somehow, right? Then you go hire people in that neighborhood. That's what we did in Georgia. We hired rural black women and we said, we're not going to ask you to knock on a bunch of doors of strangers. We're not going to pay you to call a bunch of strangers. Just We're going to pay you to tell us who you know. And they're like, like really? Like, and I was like, yeah, just pay, tell, tell us who you know, your dad, you know, your cousin, your next door neighbor, because guess what? All of those people were low propensity voters, right? And so like, I would say you start with relational, volunteer relational, then you do paid relational. And the things in between, you, it's still relational, but what the kind of relation is when you go knock on a door, you form a relationship with that person face to face, right? That That is a relationship. And I don't think door knocking will ever go away, but there is no relationship from a text message. There is no relationship from an ad that's just popping up on your phone. And so your question about the consultants, they say, well, there should be a mix of things. But the mix that I got was 75% of all the money that I raised as a congressional candidate, I had signed a contract that said it had to be spent on advertising, right? If I had a million dollars to spend on a TV ad, a million dollars to spend on texting people from unknown messages, or a million dollars to spend on relational uh, organizing, in what world is the million dollars on TV or the million dollars on texting going to get me more votes than a million dollars on relational organizing? Our entire budget for this relational program across the state is half a million dollars. It's so much cheaper than anything else you could be doing, right? What because should, what the, should the budget be, Sri? What should the budget be for this? I, I think, I mean, for Texas, I, I think we should be spending probably as, like, I, I think you could probably relationally organize Texas for $5 million, you know, like the, the entire state. Why not use your persuasive abilities to find somebody <laughs> to give you $5 million for this? Who's, I mean, listen, who's listening to this podcast who has $5 million? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. The, 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 I've had this conversation with people where they say, oh, I believe in relational. I believe it. I, and, and I say, but do you believe it's 
it's more impactful than TV. And they'll say, yeah, but there needs to be a mix. And I was like, a mix, yes, but have you saturated the thing that's the highest R? Like if you have three things of different values, right? And one of them is more valuable than the other. And you say like, well, I just need to have a mix of gold and silver and copper. But if you could have like a hundred bars of gold and one bar of silver and one bar of copper, I would do that, right? And they say, no, 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 let me get a hundred bars of copper and I'll buy like a little sliver of gold. <laughs> like, like what, what, what? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's there's no math involved in that. No, I, I think that your your metaphor of the solar energy, which was both politically correct and and apt, <laughs> was better than the different levels of metal because they they were both standing for value and for <laughs> efficacy. But in any case, I get what you mean. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say this, Nathaniel. I have yeah. asked this question again and again to people. I, I ask them, like, is it is it show me the math where a thousand dollars on one of these advertising sources is going to get you more votes than a thousand dollars or a million dollars on this? And no one actually has any math to show that, but they just say, Well, I have a budget item or oh, a mix of something. I was like, that's not that's not math. That's just like your opinion of stuff. That's that's like habit or something. And you know, there there may be a saturation point. Like that that I agree with you. You can max out this program. Right, but it's probably close to like five million voters. Not, it's like we're we're nowhere near any kind of saturation point with this thing. That's like saying, oh, there's a, a certain point where the vaccine won't do anything, but but you've only distributed like a thousand doses of the vaccine. <laughs> what should an observer watch for out of two million Texans for uh, a sense of how things are going? Like, what will we see if you're delivering what you're trying to deliver? You're expanding the electorate where we need to expand the electorate. You're giving us chances in a lot of races where we wouldn't have chances without this program. Will we see anything in the buildup to the election or only be during the voting? Or how will we observe that this is happening? You can see it right now because you can see the growth pattern, right? We, we already have a past example of Georgia to show like what the impact can be on a statewide election. We know a 4% bump in turnout among the group in the network, and then 9% for the youngest and 11% for the least likely voters. The only question is, how big can you get this space? And as you see our growth curve, we're growing faster than in Georgia. And Georgia had a much smaller time window. We were about to pass the total amount of voters that we had in Georgia, even on election day, but on an exponential growth curve. So if we keep doubling and doubling and we hit the same, same kind of growth curve, that, that Georgia had, which we're already on that, then that, that will show you in and of itself that we have changed the, the, the landscape completely here in Texas. Georgia was a precedent for the state, for the country. We've set an even bigger precedent because it's an order of magnitude larger than anything that's ever been done before. And this is why, this is why political people should have paid attention to math during high school. They, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> they got to know exponential functions. <laughs> right. And as a user, you can track the growth. It shows you how many people we are adding to the network every day and then the total number of people that are in the network. So you can track, you know, right on your phone if we're getting to the numbers that we need to uh, to reach our goals. Then we'll start to see what happens on early voting. Right. That's the uh, the gamification part of it. So people actually compete with each other. So we have congressional candidates. We have like, you know, people running for state rep, you know, who are all on the app and they will try to if they see somebody else who's actually got more relationships at it, because that's a, it's a relationship program. They will try to outdo them the next day and try to go to the top of the rankings. And all of those relationships are adding up all over the state. The Biden campaign had a relational program during the presidential election. I talked to a few people about it at different points. It was on a different software package. Do you have, did you ever look at that? Do you know like how big that got and 
have you thought about like that ought to be what you do next for whoever's running for president? So, so I mean, the, the kind of thing. So, there's relational organizing and then a relational network. So, the, the kind of stuff that we're talking about. It, the the reason that I think it's so powerful is because we have all of these candidates, and, and like I said, even even Ossoff and Warnock didn't have this because they just had the same district, right? But having all of these candidates tied together, that wasn't part of Vote with Joe. That's not part of, of the Ossoff campaign. This is something new. Right. What we're doing here is we're breaking ground for in American history to show that we can actually stitch together every single Democratic candidate in an entire state into a truly coordinated network. No, no one's ever done this thing before. Well, there have been um, there, there have been attempts even technologically to do it along the way, but it's a refresh new version of it for sure. In fact, uh, Abraham yeah. Lincoln tried to do it, but it was more yeah. paper and pencil. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if if you had a way to like, you know, add you up all these the pieces of paper, <laughs> like you, you'd have to write down all the pieces of paper and stick everybody into a notebook. But yeah, we can do it a little bit better. Now. I mean, honestly, Twitter and Facebook, like every social media company, they have social graphs of not just Texas, but the entire world. The Democratic Party is really like at least 10 years behind on this because we should have a social graph of Texas that tells us how everybody's connected in Texas and then figure out not how many attempts it will take to get to you, Nathaniel, but who is the right person, who is the unique best person to contact Nathaniel to make sure Nathaniel doesn't stay home this year. That's what we're doing. Well, I, I think that you two are the best people to contact me because you're very inspiring and I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if there's a question. You vote, Nathaniel. Are you I voting? Vote, I, okay. I do vote. And my wife was on the ballot last time as a the most local office on earth. And so I really had better have voted. So I definitely did. Not Wait, that where, I would, where are you registered? But I'm registered in Washington, D.C., where, okay. <laughs> you know, like we got 94 percent for Biden. And, right. you know, right. But if you have friends in Texas, though, you can turn out people in Texas. My I friends think they're in all LA, voting already. You're missing the point. Like, I got to clarify for your audience. Right. Everybody says that my friends are already voting. A, you don't know for a fact. The guy who had a had a, a event for me at his house, I thought he was voting, but he didn't actually vote. But secondly, that's not the point. If you have twice as many people knocking doors, you knock twice as many doors. If you have twice as many people making phone calls, you make twice as many phone calls. If you have twice as many people relationally recruiting into the network, you don't have twice as many people relationally recruited because at each layer – if you if you have you know five friends in Texas, just five, get one of them to do this app, right, or two of them to do this app, and then they will pull in more people, and they will pull in more people. So even if all say a hundred percent of your Texas network is voting, you can still help us turn out votes in Texas. Absolutely, you can because each one of those people, if they put in fifty relationships into the network, they could be six or to 12 votes for each one of those people. You could have turned out sixty extra votes, even though all five of your friends were already voting. Well, this is very enjoyable to hear about because it's it sparks some hope where hope is really needed. Um, is there a question I should have asked you that I didn't? Um, a question you should have asked us. Well, let's see. We talked about the the coordination of it. We talked about how permanent it is, that it, it doesn't go away after this. Um, and, and I guess like the, the other thing that I would say is that it's not just for the election either, because what we're putting together, in fact, we're doing this right now. Um, there's a group called Mothers Against Greg Abbott, right? And they've got a Facebook group. They've got about 60,000 people in it, and they got a big email list, but they are not, they're not organized in this exact same way. They were going to do a texting program, right? And so what we're saying is instead of just doing a mass texting program, you have all these people that know each other. Let's just add them into a network together so that 
all those 60,000 people, they, they get a text message from their chapter leader, right? And it's a known text message, not an unknown. So it doesn't go to spam. And then all of the precinct chairs underneath them, they get a text message from a known person and they get the message out to the rest of the group. And so the bottom layer of the group, there's 60,000 people in this group. Now, all those 60,000 people just got a text message from someone that they know. The next layer is outside of this group, though. All of those people, if they send a text message to, to 10 people each, then now 600,000 people across Texas just got a text message from someone they know. Unless they all know the same 10 people. That, but but that, that, that's, that's assuming that, they, that, that it all bends back on itself. But here's the, here's the problem with that. Even in my phone... I have Republicans in my phone. I have independents in my phone. I have unknown people. I would have never guessed that I had 200 people who didn't vote in 2018 in my phone. I'm a strong Democrat, right? So th th that's where that saturation point gets. If, yeah, if you get to six or seven million, maybe at some point it bends back on itself. We're not anywhere close to that point, Nathaniel. We're, we're nowhere near that saturation point. Yeah. Well, and in addition, like what you were just talking about with that organization, we're doing that with every organization across the state. So there are so many grassroots orgs that are doing really good work in their community, but this helps everybody across the state become a part of one thing to turn out voters and make a difference. When you're reaching out to these organizations like Mothers Against Greg Abbott, what percentage of them are actively jumping on this? What kind of feedback are you getting from the system in this? Oh, love oh, it. oh my God. Yeah, the, people the love it. They're like, amazing. okay, they can't sign up fast enough. They want in. They're, they want us to train all their people. It's been like wildfire. I keep saying that. Like we, we kind of lit a wildfire. We just need to continue to pour gas on it. And, and that's our outreach team that we've been able to hire in the last couple of weeks to help us pour that gasoline. And, and the, th the thing about it is it's, it's actually easier. Like people are a little bit confused because once they realize what they're doing, we're asking them not to walk out in the hot sun. We're not asking them to sit on a phone bank for hours and hours. Literally, once you download the app, you can do it anywhere you want. Just build your network. You can do it while you're watching football. You can do it while you're waiting to pick up your kids. You can do it while you're sitting at the doctor. It's on your phone, but it's more impactful. I mean, people just love it because it's, it's so simple and it's so, so much easier on your own time. College kids, they can do it. They, they don't want to show up at one place at a one, one time. They want to have everything on their own schedule. And, and this al allows them to do that. Well, I was just going to say, and, and for example, we started training precinct chairs recently to use it. And like our founder is, is a precinct chair, their president, Carrie, and she found 500 people in her own precinct that did not vote last midterm. 500 people. Imagine if we do that in precincts all across Texas, which of course there's not going to be that density of voter everywhere, but those numbers add up. And now she knows as a precinct chair what her target needs to be for this cycle to turn people out. The beauty of this, because it's not an advertisement, it's not you know a paid canvas or something, people are just, every person is a volunteer. So we can train everybody. We train campaigns, but we also train students. We also train people who are part of you know wh whatever the organization is, whether it's like NAACP or LULAC or whoever. It doesn't matter because any individual can volunteer for anything they want. And all they're doing is just getting trained to use an app. And so we can literally train the whole state. <laughs> well, it, it sounds promising. <laughs> <laughs> maybe invite us back on november 9th right i mean oh, if i'll tell you what let's just plan on it okay actually we might sleep on november 9th it doesn't we have make to, it yeah it doesn't okay. have to be exactly then but like if things go well you're gonna have way too many people talking to you you're not gonna want to bother with me 
I don't think that's but, true. But I'm I'm I would love to have you back, especially if you can create a big upset. But, but by, by the way, I, I had no idea how many people listen to this, but after the last time we did this podcast, do you know how many people have come up to me and said, I heard your podcast. It was amazing on Great Battlefield. So you've got a, a wide following across the country. Well, you, you were a desired to listen to guest. I think that's probably what it was. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, great well, to talk to you guys. Anything else you want to say? Now, just if if you have anybody in Texas, make sure you you get on this. Yeah, app I think I'm going to try it. I think I'm going to try it. Yeah, please do. And and I mean, you know, reach out with any questions that you have. But um, yeah. you know, stream and join our Facebook group. Yeah, you know? join our Facebook group. Two million Texans. We have a program for out of state people to help. To we had out of state people helping Georgia because if you had so do I have to do something different if I'm out of state than text three 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 nine. Nope. It's, a, it's the same app, the same app, but all you do is you just find your friends who are registered in Texas, right? And so the same, in Georgia, we had people in LA helping us. We had people in DC and New York helping us. And then once you build your network of people in Texas, you know, that's your network. You could also volunteer anywhere in the country. If you want to volunteer to help flip Texas, what you can do is you can call other people. You say, well, you built your entire network, but you can help mobilize other people. Someone who lives in Houston, who only has 15 people in network, call them and help encourage them to get 50 or 100 or 200. And the bigger the relationships are, the more people in our target universe who haven't voted. So if you put in 100, you'll find, you know, 10 people who didn't vote. If you put in 1000, you may find 200 people who didn't vote, you know, so it's just up to each individual user. And so anybody around the country can actually help us to flip Texas blue in November. That's right. And I would say just to solidify that point. Don't give up on Texas, people. There are people out here fighting like hell every day for for better leadership. And we have 40 electoral college votes now in this state. That's a whole ball game, right? Nationally. So, so don't give up on us. Pay attention to what we're doing. Invest what you can. Send your voters that you know here to join this project. I really believe we're going we're gonna to prove everybody wrong about this state in November. I hope you're right. I appreciate your time. That was Lana and Shri. They are at 2milliontexans.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere, and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.